0: The Nationals are back home and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one or come afterwards to catch late night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com reservations to secure your reservation for this week.
1: Walters is a great option, not only during Nats games, but also to watch Euro 2020
2: matches. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match
0: John Gomes has hit three grand slams in his career. Here's the set of the pitch. Ooh. Swing and a drive to deep left field. Gamble going back, way back. Going, going, gone,
2: goodbye. Bang, zoom, goes John Gomes.
0: Did I say three grand slams in his career? Of the baseball and listen to this crowd. Performance of the season for Patrick Corbin, and he gets a deserving standing ovation. And welcome to Nat Chat for Wednesday, June 16th, 2021, along with Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman of Mass I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. The Vibes Are Rising. When it comes to the Nationals, we now have ourselves a winning streak of more in two games. It is three consecutive victories for the Nationals. It is four victories in five games for the Nationals, and it is a chance at a three-game sweep for the Nationals of the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates off what went down on Tuesday night, an 8-1 ripping of the Berg at Nationals Park. The Pirates are a bad team, yes, but the Nats are taking care of business against that bad team, and a guy who had been having a bad season for at least one night, was lights out. Patrick Corbin continued the parade of high-level pitching for the Nationals. This incredible run continues. The Nats pitching staff is out of its mind right
1: now, Mark. Yeah, Al. uh, Last 11 games, 2.18 ERA. (laughs) Last (laughs) last six games, six runs allowed. Total six runs, one per game. Now, their record could be a little better in those games. We won't get into that, but hey, at least they're winning these now. And Look, they are taking advantage of some lesser competition, and I'd include the Giants in that category, at least in terms of their offense. But this is what you have to do. (laughs) Get healthy on the weaker opponents, and then maybe you have some momentum when you have to face the better opponents, and the better opponent is coming up this weekend in the Mets. And I think that's going to be a telling weekend. We're going to find out more whether there is something actually positive going on here or whether uh, they're just feasting on some bad competition. But take it, you know? no complaints. You can't get picky about who you're beating right now, whether it's the Orioles, the Marlins, the Pirates, whatever. They'll take every win they can get.
0: No doubt. Beggars shall not be choosers. And the Nationals are beggars with the way their season started. So every win matters. That's now 29 and 35 on the season. Have gotten to 500 at Nationals Park on the season at 17 and 17. The Atlanta Braves lost on Tuesday night, a 10-8 home loss to the Boston Red Sox. So don't look now, but the Nationals, who are not in last in the National League East anymore, they're fourth, are now just a game behind the Braves for third in the division. So every little step here is being taken. Nationals slowly but surely trying to climb the standings in what remains a very underwhelming National League East division. Well, you know, for all of the whining and crying we've done about the Nationals' offense this season, you would think, hey, they put up eight runs, hit a grand slam. Why don't you start with an Nats' offense? No, we're not going to start with an Nats' offense because Corbin, delivered the goods on Tuesday night. We said, if he can't pitch well against the Pirates, what hope is there? Well, there does remain hope, thankfully. Patrick Corbin went out there, Mark, on Tuesday night. He was handed a fat lead early, that's true, but he did exactly what you wanted to see. He dominated a hapless lineup. He rode that substantial early game lead to a lengthy outing. One run in eight and a third innings. I mean, how often do you say that? A pitcher on any team goes eight plus innings uh, one run, eight and a third inning, seven strikeouts versus eight hits, which consisted of a double and seven singles. Only issued a walk through 110 pitches, had the slider working to near perfection, threw a bunch of strikes, too. This stood out to me as much as anything. Corbin's had a hard time throwing strikes in a lot of outings this season. Of his 110 pitches, 76 of those were strikes. This is the Corbin we've been wanting to see, and we thankfully saw him for at least one night on Tuesday night.
1: And I'll take it even a step farther with the uh, the strikes of his sliders. He threw 43 total sliders, 32 of those for strikes. Wow. Okay. That's a big number. 10 of them called, 11 of them swings and misses. That is elite Patrick Corbin. And he said, and Jan Gomes said the same thing that they went into this and said, let's simplify matters here. Let's not try to get too creative. What are you best at? Okay. You're best at. Making hitters think that a slider is a fastball by keeping it close enough to the zone and then having it dart down and in at the last second. And that's what he did. He didn't try to be perfect with it. He threw it sorta near the bottom of the strike zone and then trusted it to dart down at the last second. And the Pirates bit on it. That's exactly what you want to do. And given a big lead, he didn't mess around at all. Went right after them. He threw strikes. He had quick innings, quick outs. Wasn't really trying to think of himself as a strikeout pitcher in this game. It was more Throw strikes, make them beat me, and I thought he did that to perfection. Now, again, facing a weaker lineup, let's see, can he now do this against a better team? But on this night against this opponent, this is exactly what they needed from him. He'd been the one holdout over the last you know 11 games I was talking about, how good the pitching staff has been. Well, he's now joined the club, and good for him because he needed this one.
0: We know he's had problems in first innings. It was so nice to see him throw a scoreless first inning. Then the Nats put up the five spot in the bottom of the first. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm like, boy, I hope Corbin doesn't give it right back. Because we've <laughs> seen him do that kind of thing so far this year. But he didn't. He did, like you said, exactly what you want. When you get given an early lead like that, just write it, man. Don't dilly-dally, just pound the zone, get in, get out, you know, make it a short night. And it was in terms of the duration of the game. This game was well under three hours. And Corbin nearly tossed a complete game. Any surprise that Davey put him back out there for that ninth inning? He, he was, you know, right at 100 pitches at that point. Ended up giving a couple of base hits in the top of the ninth. So Davey had to pull him for Justin Miller. But what were your thoughts there on Corbin potentially going for that complete game?
1: I was a little surprised just because you're such a comfortable lead and it's not like the pitch count was super low. It was, I think, 99 going into the ninth inning. No real need to push it. But Davey said afterwards, if there was anybody in the ballpark that wanted him to throw a complete game, it was me. I think he knew what that would mean for Patrick emotionally, given the season that he's had. And so he figured the the limit for him tonight was 110 pitches. So put him out there. Maybe he has a quick ninth. But the first sign of trouble, that was it. I don't think Patrick had any issue with that understood why he had to make that move uh, and then go to justin miller who they just brought back up from triple a we haven't seen him in two years and thankfully he just made quick work of it <laughs> two batters two outs game over this was as nice and simple and tidy a win as they've had in a long time and it just feels nice <laughs> for them for everyone to have that where there was just no moment during this game that you're kind of on the edge of your seat thinking oh it could all fall apart here no this was comfortable and they need more of these kind of games
0: Yeah, because it's not just the losses this season. It's that so many of the wins have felt like losses. These grind them out affairs, these lengthy, prolonged outings. And it's like, geez, every little win has got to be dramatic. And it's got to, you know, it's back and forth. And it's like an emotional roller coaster. And to have an easy breezy evening like this is what you need. And the more telling series clearly is going to be four games over three days against the National League East leading New York Mets this weekend. At Park, But I do think in some ways this series against the Pirates is telling and that if you can't have your way with a team like Pittsburgh, then what really are we doing here? And I'm encouraged by, hey, you know what? The Nats so far are taking care of business against the Pirates. And the game one win was certainly not a dominant win. But this win was. This win on Tuesday night felt like the Nats are a good team. The Pirates are not. We knew the latter to be the case. We know the Pirates aren't good. We're still trying to figure out what the Nats are exactly. Are they a good team that just got off to a bad start, or are they a bad team? And for a lot of this season, truth be told, the Nats have looked like a bad team. At least on a night like Tuesday night, it kind of feels like, you know what, there is a really good team within this Nationals team. We saw a lot of signs of that in this game.
1: Well, and I'd lump in also the the sweep over the Orioles, the sweep over the Marlins. Those are the worst teams they face so far, and they have clearly looked better than those. So that doesn't make the Nats a great team, but I think it's safe to say they are not an awful team. They're not a— a really bad team that's gonna struggle to get to 70 wins or anything like that. I know at times we've maybe thought that might be true, but no, when they're actually facing that competition, it's clear they are the superior team. And even on Monday night, I know it was three, two, and and you know, they scored the winning run late. Even that, it felt like they were just they were gonna win that game. It didn't feel like they were gonna give up another run. Once they took the lead, it was like, all right, everything will be fine here and just a matter of time just getting through it. So I do see a team that is better than the record shows. Now, I don't know how good they are. We're going to have to see it against better competition. And I think, like you said, this weekend will be big for that. But I am seeing a team that is clearly better than the dregs of the league and for the most part has been hanging with the better teams. Right before this, okay, we talked about the six straight games against the Rays and the Giants, the two teams with the best records in baseball at the time. Now, maybe those teams aren't as good as the records show, but the records are what the records are. And they were in every game and wound up splitting with them. So that's not, to me, a sign of a bad team. That's a sign of a team that is capable of doing this. And maybe they just need that one or two more things a night to go right. And in this game, they got that one or two things going.
0: They did. And they trimmed that run differential, too. That's another thing that, to me, has been alarming about the Nats. They've had the worst run differential in the NLEs for basically the entirety of the season. They've got that down now to minus 18 with this seven-run victory on Tuesday night. So good to see that. Well, the offense was good on Tuesday night. There's no doubt about that. Eight runs, including five in the bottom of the first Nats totaled 13 hits to go with two walks, five for 10 with runners in scoring position. It feels like at times it's taken a week for the Nats to get five hits with runners in scoring position. That's had five hits on Tuesday night with runners in scoring position. And no hit was grander than the grand slam by Jan Gomes that capped that five run bottom of the first inning. Jan Gomes smashing a one-out grand slam on a bomb, a no-doubter to left field on a 1-2 pitch. In that Nationals five-run first inning, the home run going a projected 400 feet per stat cast. We all know by now how bad the Nationals have been with the bases loaded this season. For at least one at-bat, Mark, we could celebrate the Nationals with the bases juiced. A big hit, obviously, and a hit that in so many ways set the tone for the evening.
1: Well, do you want the updated numbers? Because they look better than uh, than what we've seen. The numbers are now with the bases loaded, a robust 170 batting average, the OPS up to 553. I think they're now 28th out of 30 instead of 30th out of 30. And it wasn't just the Gomes homer. Right before that was the Harrison bases loaded single on a little looper to right field that Polanco got in his glove and then it fell out. For a split second, I thought he was going to catch it. And I'm thinking, oh man, here we go. They had the bases loaded, nobody out. Zimmerman strikes out. Harrison's going to get robbed of a, a, maybe a hit. And now it's two outs, and they may not get anything out of this. And so the first one fell in. You took a little bit of a a breath of fresh air. And then Gomes, like you said, it was a no-doubter. But I feel like within the crowd, it took a couple seconds to react to it. Maybe because we just don't expect this from them in those situations. You're kind of always expecting the worst. And instead, they got the best possible result from it. A no-doubt grand slam, a 5 nothing lead, the five-run first inning. That was more than their total output in eight of the last 11 games, and they got it in the first inning. Five runs on six hits. Where has this been all season long? It's there. They just need to do it.
0: I have lamented how the Nationals lead the planet in innings that look like they'll be big innings but end up being oh-so-humble innings. This was a big inning, a big, fat, crooked five that you could put in that bottom of the first inning. You know, Gomes has had, overall, a good season. Now, his offensive numbers have come down quite a bit over the last few weeks, but a hit like this reminds you of what he can be, and especially in the current state of Major League Baseball, in which there just aren't many good hitting catchers, you appreciate a guy like Gomes, who, of course, has been so good this season when it comes to throwing out runners trying to steal. He is slugging 416 on the season, and, you know, again, with so few catchers hitting well these days, you can appreciate someone like Gomes, even though like for a, an overall batter, he's not good. For a catcher, he's actually not bad. And a grand slam like that, you know, there aren't many catchers who could deliver like that in a spot like that. And yet Gomes did was very good to see that. Also, it was good to see Trey Turner have himself a four hit night that included an extra base hit. We've talked about this. Trey Turner's really calmed down in recent weeks and it's been a bunch of singles, but not much more. He had on Tuesday night, four hits, three singles and an RBI triple. Trey Turner, a single in that Nationals five-run first, a two-out single in the bottom of the second, a two-out RBI triple on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the fourth inning, and a leadoff single in the bottom of the seventh. He still hasn't homered in forever. Uh, It feels like 2017 was the last time Trey Turner homered, but a triple on Tuesday night. Hopefully, they can get the power coming back to Trey Turner.
1: It's been a month. Mid-May was the last home run. I mean, that's pretty staggering. He talked about it tonight. He admitted it. He knows he hasn't been right. He feels like it's mechanics. He's been working a lot in the cage on it. I thought it was interesting. He said he typically won't take BP on the field with the rest of his teammates. He thinks that when he's out there, he just tries to hit home runs because you see the fence out there and maybe there's some fans around and you get caught up in that. So he does most of this work in the cage. But the other day, he took a round of early BP before anyone else was out there. He said the reason was, in the cage, you can feel like you're hitting a ball well, but you don't really know the result of it because it goes off a netting somewhere that's like 20 feet from you. Sometimes you need to actually be on the field, see where the ball travels, and okay, I felt like I hit that well, and oh no, it actually it, you know only went 250 feet or something like that, or oh hey, actually that one cleared the park. That was you know good contact. So I thought that was interesting. He's clearly been working on it. He's been you know frustrated with the way things have gone. Maybe a four hit night is exactly what he needed, although I know he still feels like he's not there yet. And probably until he really connects on one, until he turns on a fastball and hits it over the wall in left field, I don't think he'll feel like he's all the way back. But good sign, good first start for him, at least in this one.
0: Yeah, and we know how these things go. Whenever he hits his next home run, he'll then hit like five more in the next week. Like that's always how it goes in baseball. A guy like this who's this good, he goes in a slump, he finally busts out of it, and then he goes on a tear. And I would not be stunned at all if that is what happens with Trey Turner. Well, while we, we are going through the roll call of Nationals offensive heroes from Tuesday night, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Jordy Mercer delivered on Tuesday night. Love seeing this. The ex-Pirate, the ex bucko coming through. Interestingly, he was a starting third baseman. I want to ask you about that. Is Sterling Castro banged up or just a night off for him? But Mercer gets a start at third base, and he's Mike Schmidt on Tuesday night. Three hits and a standout defensive play. I mean, great job by Jordy Mercer. All praise for him. Three for four with three singles. I mean, okay, but three singles. Three hits for Jordy Mercer. Uh, one out single on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats' five run first. A single in the Nats' two run eighth. And a leadoff single on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the sixth. Literally minutes after he made that terrific defensive play. A diving backhanded stab of a grounder down the third baseline off the bat of Jacob Stallings and then throwing the first for the final out and the top of the sixth with a runner on first. Corbin ready. Here it is. Swinging a hard ground ball. Diving stop Mercer along the line. Gets up, throws, and gets his man. Oh, Jordy Mercer robs his former teammate Stallings. A spectacular diving
1: play right at the third base line.
0: Now, Mercer did commit a fielding error with one out in the top of the eighth inning, but still, for a spot start, very productive evening for Jordy Mercer.
1: That was an Anthony Rendon play, not the air. That yeah. Was a great play. And the throw, I mean, he put a lot of mustard on that throw across the diamond. So that I thought was the highlight for him for the night in addition to the three hits. And yeah, maybe he's a little motivated going against his former teammate. He, he hasn't done much the last couple of years since he left the Pirates. He was with the Tigers, didn't really do much, had some injuries, and is getting a chance. At least he's been on the Nationals roster since opening day. Plays maybe once a week, usually at second base, but He can play a mean third base, apparently. Who knew? And, you know, it's funny. You asked me about Castro, and I forgot all about it. So the lineup came out late today. It was after we'd already spoken to Davey pregame, and he had said that the reason was he needed to still check on a few guys. And so I'm thinking, oh, somebody might not be feeling well, or somebody needs a day off. And and then the lineup came out, and I thought, oh, it must be Castro. And then I completely forgot to ask him about it after the game. So I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. But I'm guessing that maybe Castro was feeling a little banged up, or Davey, you know, came to his senses and said, hey, let's give the not slugging Starlin Castro a night off and get somebody else in there, and maybe it'll turn things around. I don't think there's a change at third base all of a sudden, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world to let Starlin have a night off.
0: The not slugging Mercer for the not slugging Castro, but Mercer had a good game. So all praise to him for what he ended up doing. We did see Kyle Schwarber remain in the number one spot. We talked about that on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Would that continue for this game? Even though the Pirates are starting a lefty, the answer is yes, it did. And You know, Schwarber didn't have a monster night, but he did have a productive night. One for four with an RBI, had a leadoff single, and that Nationals five-run first. So technically, you could say Schwarber ignited the five-run first inning. He also had a one-out RBI sack fly in the Nats' two-run eighth. And Victor Robles did some good things in the ball game as well. I do find it interesting. Davies stopped doing the thing of batting Robles ninth, a pitcher eighth. He's still, though, batted Robles behind Mercer, which I'm like, really? Uh, but anyway, Robles uh, one for three with an RBI double and a walk. He's actually had some doubles here lately. Still hasn't homered. That's a conversation for another installment of the pod. What has happened to the power of Victor Robles? This is a guy who had 17 homers just a few seasons ago. Zero homers on the season this year. But pretty good night at the plate. A leadoff six-pitch walk in the Nats' one-run fourth. He was down in that count at 1.12. And then the full-count RBI double, that was a nice plate appearance in the Nationals' two-run eighth inning. He did ground into an inning-ending double play that ended that five-run first inning. But he also had another very nice defensive play, that leaping catch of a first-pitch liner by Jacob Stallings, who got robbed twice by standout Nationals' defensive plays on Tuesday night. And Robles making this catch while crashing into the center field wall for the first out in the top of the second. Corbin into the line of the pitch, swung on, hit in the air to right center deep. Back goes Robles, way back, he's at the wall, he leaves, and he caught it! He caught the ball and crashed into the fence, and holds on, and that hurt. That was a scary play. It, it looked like Robles you know, might have gotten banged up, and then there was a play later in the game on which Robles looked shaken up, but uh, apparently he's okay.
1: Yeah, that one, he slammed his left shoulder into the out-of-town scoreboard. And for those who don't, never seen it up close, it's not actually the scoreboard that you're hitting. It's like a chain link fence that's in front of the scoreboard to kind of protect the scoreboard. How come they don't pad that? I mean, God knows, Al. I I hate those video boards that are part of the outfield wall because they mess with the hitter's sight line to begin with when they're constantly changing. You know, and that scoreboard, it's not like it stays up the entire night. In between innings, it changes, you know, when they, you know, two strikes on the batter and they get everyone fired up, it turns to something else. I've never liked those. They're not the only team to do it. A lot of teams have those video boards on the outfield wall. But I agree. They're dangerous. I've seen guys, you know, try to climb it and get their spike caught in it. You can hit your shoulder into it. I've never liked those kind of fences. There's got to be somewhere else to put one of those things. So thankfully, it didn't appear to be anything serious because obviously he stayed in the game and had a, had a nice night. But that was a little bit scary, that one. And then he did, I forget which at bat it was. He did actually get a hold of one and hit it just foul. And there was a brief moment. You thought maybe he finally was off the schneid and got the first home run. He didn't. And it is baffling to me how the power has just been sapped completely. You know, remember last year, all the talk was, well, he bulked up too much and maybe lost his power and everything else because of it. So he slimmed back down this year. Well, the power hasn't come back. So who knows what he's going to do next winter, uh, how he's going to show up physically. But it, it is strange that he has not really even come close to hitting very many home runs this year. But maybe the double was good. Maybe the fact that he almost hit one out and went foul is a sign that it's starting to come together.
0: Yeah, like I said, 17 home runs for Robles just a few years ago. The 2019 World Series winning season. Like, that's not that long ago. It's two years ago. And he's got zero homers so far this year. Very odd that that's been the case. But he has been great defensively. Robles came into games. On Tuesday night, number three among all qualified center fielders in the majors in defensive runs saved at plus three. By the way, Michael A. Taylor, number one at plus eight. Taylor is having an excellent defensive season anyway for Kansas City. His offensive numbers are bad like you would expect, but he's still killing it as a glove guy. But so too is Victor Robles. You know, it's interesting, Mark. The Nats scored eight runs on Tuesday night. Juan Soto really didn't do much. uh, Did have a first pitch single in that Nats five run first, but that was the only hit he had. Ryan Zimmerman, the Nats cleanup batter, On Tuesday night, one for four with a couple of strikeouts. Had a leadoff single on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the third, but had that uh, bad at bat in that five-run first, striking out with the bases loaded and nobody out. So, you know, relatively quiet evenings for your three and four batters, and yet still, you were able to put up the eight runs.
1: And this has been happening a little more frequently here, where there are winning games and scoring runs without Juan Soto and often without Trey Turner being involved. And Zim has obviously cooled off since his tremendous start to the year. So, a little bit frustrating that they're not hitting and maybe a little concerning that what's going to happen long term with them by the same token nice to know they can score runs without them because for a lot of the season we've thought if trey turner and juan soto aren't hitting this team isn't scoring at all so at least they're doing a little bit without them long term yeah they need all of those guys to be
2: there.
0: All right. So we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win. And it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back. Inside credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, And sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Wednesday afternoon include the San Diego Padres at the Colorado Rockies at 310. Starting for San Diego is Blake Snell, who surprisingly has an ERA of 497. Could not record an out in the fifth inning of his last start. Going for Colorado is Kyle Freeland, who over four starts since his return from a left shoulder strain, has an ERA of nine. Take the over. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, one 800 with it indiana one 800 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, one 800 or in West Virginia, visit www.1800GAMBLER.net. So you mentioned Justin Miller. The reason the Nationals selected his contract from AAA Rochester is that the Nats did put Max Scherzer on the 10-day injured list on Tuesday, retroactive to June 12th, groin inflammation, which doesn't sound very pleasant, uh, was the official labeling of the injury. So two questions here. Number one, is it in fact the case that Max will only miss the one start? And number two, you know, thinking about this, might this actually be a good thing in a weird way in that, okay, he doesn't start game three against the lowly Pirates, but you could conceivably now have Max pitching for you in a bigger series coming up because you have the Mets coming up and then you have the Phillies after that. What are we looking at in terms of the next time Max Scherzer
1: will pitch? Well, he won't be eligible until the 22nd, which is the first game at the Phillies. So I think you can tentatively pencil him in for that one. He seems to think that uh, it would only be one start missed. And I've watched again before the game, he was out there doing these significant agility drills, looking like a defensive back out there. So that's a good sign. Uh, I think it's just a matter of driving off the mound right now. And there was some talk, as we discussed yesterday, if they would maybe not put him on the IL because they would think he could be ready to face the Mets this weekend and that they would do that. And I guess they just decided it's not worth taking the chance, not this time of year. And also just from a calendar standpoint in that you're only allowed to backdate an IL move three days. So they had to make a decision on Tuesday. And if they didn't, if they decided to wait, and ultimately it turned out that he couldn't make the start, then you're going to have to either keep him on the active roster and play with a man down, or you're going to put him on the IL, but now you can't backdate it as far, so his return date gets pushed further along. So I, I think it was the safe, probably smart play for right now. I think he understood that. And hey, if you can get it back for the Phillies and misses one start and he doesn't need to rehab start or simulate a game, anything like that, that's great. Hopefully he can do that, and hopefully you can get through the weekend. The other good thing here is that because of off days on Thursday and then on Monday, they can actually get through that Mets series with four of their regular starters. They don't need to call anybody else up, even with a doubleheader. They can use all the regulars, and then assuming Max is ready to go next Tuesday, they don't have to find a replacement, other than Wednesday series finale, where our boy will have his moment in the sun to face the Pirates. Going for the sweep.
0: He's getting the call. Paulo Espino, Davey Martinez finally making that official after the Nationals' victory on Tuesday night. Game three against the Pirates at Nats Park, Wednesday afternoon, 4.05. Paulo Espino versus Chase DeYoung, who has thrown just 15 Major League innings this season, has thrown just 69 and a third career Major League innings, has a career ERA of 6.62. So again, this is an opportunity for the Nats to get fat and happy. We'll see Paolo Espino. I don't know. I mean, are they classifying this as a bullpen game? Is it, hey, we're going to give Paulo a, le- a legit shot to pitch here? I saw you tweet that Jeffrey Rodriguez will be available. What do you think the realistic expectation here is with our guy, Paolo? I mean, we expect a complete game, but what do you think the Nationals organizationally <laughs> are expecting from Paulo on Wednesday?
1: We know our, our podcast listeners are expecting a perfect game Yes, Paulo. Nothing you know, short of that will be acceptable. But no, it's a real start. You know, this isn't an opener situation. This isn't a bullpen game necessarily. They'll push him as far as they can go. Now, he threw 50 pitches Friday night after Scherzer had to leave the game with the groin injury. So maybe he can go a little bit beyond that. But remember, he hasn't been truly stretched out as a starter in a while. He's been pitching out of the bullpen. So I think knowing that they have Jeffrey Rodriguez behind him, that you're looking for ideally, let's say six innings out of the two of them, whatever that combination works out being. You go with Paolo as far as he can take you, three, four, You know, if the pitch counts low, maybe go a little bit beyond that and then try to get Jeffrey maybe through the lineup once and now you can go to the rest of your bullpen. It'll just depend on how the game plays out, but it's not an opener. This isn't a one or two inning start. If he's effective, they'll let him go as long as his arm will allow him to go.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Well, the good news is the bullpen essentially had the night off on Tuesday night. I mean, J- Justin Miller threw, what, like six pitches and that was it? And then you do have the off day on Thursday. So finally, this bullpen can maybe breathe a sigh of relief. And even if the pen is leaned on a decent amount on Wednesday, that's okay. Uh, you should be able to manage that. So good news there. The Paulo Espino t-shirts are going to be being manufactured as that game goes on on Wednesday. I can promise you that. And by the way, speaking of t-shirts, great to see... All of the Nats Chat Podcast listeners wearing their Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts at the ballgame on Tuesday night. We got a lot of tweets with those. It was awesome to see that. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. It was great seeing that. Keep those photos coming. We'll retweet them, put them out there for you. Uh, But we very much appreciate the support. And they are good-looking shirts. I mean, we're not lying when we say that. So you certainly want to get yours. Before we call it a pod, I do want to get into the big news across Major League Baseball on Tuesday And that is MLB truly addressing what has become a major topic, the usage by pitchers of foreign substances on baseballs. MLB putting out a lengthy press release, first of all, admitting that there is, in fact, a big problem. Uh, Quote, the existing on-field enforcement process has not deterred an increasing number of violations, end quote. And then MLB outlining a crackdown on the usage of illegal foreign substances, saying that beginning with games on June 21st, quote, Enhanced enforcement of official baseball rules 3.01 and 6.02 C and D, which prohibit applying foreign substances to baseballs, end quote, will be going into effect. There's a lot to get into. We won't bore you with everything that MLB said. The bottom line, though, is this. You're going to have umpires performing checks periodically throughout games of all starting and relief pitchers on both teams, regardless of whether rules violations are suspected. So this is going to be like a referee before a big UFC fight, patting the fighter down to make sure you don't have anything going on. Each starting pitcher will have more than one mandatory check per game. Each relief pitcher will be checked either at the conclusion of the inning in which he enters or when he is removed from the game. Umpires can perform checks at any time in games when the umpires feel the checks are warranted. And players are immediately going to be ejected from games and suspended if found to possess or have applied foreign substances in violation of the playing rules. There was a lot to take in. This has obviously been a big topic for weeks, if not months. Uh, What did you make of what MLB put out there on
1: Tuesday? Uh, A lot. Um, Let's start with, like, how is this practically going to work? I mean, that's a lot to ask of umpires during games and without slowing the games down that are already plenty slow as it is. Now, supposedly it's going to happen in between innings during the commercial breaks. But this is a whole new territory for them and for everyone involved. And it just, it's like you're going from zero to 100 here in midstream in the middle of the season. And I think that's probably the biggest complaint that the players are going to have about this. I think they all acknowledge that something needs to be done, that it's gotten out of hand and that you can't just let it go on completely unchecked. But they would much rather have had this happen in the offseason, not in the middle of June. That's a tough thing for everybody to have to adjust to, and I think they all are kind of upset that essentially all MLB is saying is the only thing you can use is rosin, the bag that's out there behind the mound, and that's it. So no more pine tar, which most big league players have said they're okay with, because they don't feel like that is an unfair advantage, that that's about grip. It's the spider tack. Even the, the sunscreen and rosin combo that we've heard a lot of players talk about, it seems like a lot of them are okay with that. It's these more sophisticated stuff that they think is adding to the spin right and that pitchers are doing in bad faith. So I think they would have much rather MLB come out and say, hey, here's what you will be allowed to use. We're going to supply something and have a uniform standard across the sport for everyone instead of this. Nope, all of it's out the door right now. I don't know what it's going to do to the game. I mean, it, there could have a dramatic impact. I don't know. Maybe offense takes off here. Next week, maybe it doesn't have that much impact. I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really knows. But this is a complicated thing to just be implementing right in the middle of the season. And I would imagine that it's going to show. You're going to see bumps in this road. It's not going to be smooth. There's going to be delays. There's going to be questions about, well, is this really allowed? Is this not allowed? Somebody's going to get caught that maybe they shouldn't be caught for. It's going to be hard for them to process all this, I think.
0: Yeah, it's going to be extremely bumpy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The biggest thing for me that stands out is this is another instance of MLB being behind on something. You know, MLB is never ahead of anything. It's always reactive. It's never proactive. It, It always takes like a story from Sports Illustrated or from The Athletic for MLB to do anything with anything. You know, MLB was behind on the performance enhancing drugs situation. Mob was behind when it came to the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. Mob has been behind forever with the pace of play and time of game stuff. Mob has been behind with the mistreatment of women in Mob. I mean, again, it takes articles from major outlets to spur change in Major League Baseball. The change never comes from Mob itself. And this is another instance of this, where because SI.com did that piece, and because this has become a big topic in recent weeks, MLB's like, oh, yeah, you know, there is kind of a problem here. And so in-season... You see MLB tell these umpires, all right, you're going to have to start acting as cops and chemists for the rest of this season. Like how realistic truly is that? And, you know, you think about these umpires, all right, and I, these umpires by and large do a good job. I will say that, but you know, the whole thing of, if you remember the batter's box rule, the batter's box rule since the start of the 2015 season, there's supposed to be this enhanced enforcement of that where you have to have one foot in the batter's box at all time. Umpires don't enforce that. You watch a game, you don't see that enforced throughout the game. So if you can't enforce the batter's box rule, like, do you really think they're going to be able to constantly check all these pitchers for all these chemicals? And and I just laugh at, you know, this has been a, an open secret in baseball forever that pitchers have been using this stuff. And MLB, like it did with PEDs, like it's done with other things, looks the other way, you know, ignorance is bliss, all that kind of a thing. And then when the situation becomes public, MLB says, oh yeah, I guess we should do something. But like, do you you remember the thing where the ball stuck to Yadier Molina's chest protector in 2017? What do people think that was? Do you think that was just a, a miracle of science that that happened? Like, no, there was a bunch of stuff on the baseball. It stuck to Molina's chest protector. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can find it on YouTube. This has been out there forever. Michael Pineda in 2014 got suspended for 10 days for literally having pine tar smeared on the right side of his neck Everyone has known that this stuff has been going on, and it wasn't until now, after SI.com writes an article, that Mob decides to do something. So this is going to be sloppy. This is going to be bumpy. And uh, I guess, you know, just enjoy the ride because it's not going to be smooth, and there probably going to be all kinds of inequities as the season goes on with
1: this. Yeah, I mean, think about how many times over the years, and we just gloss over it. We don't think about it. You you see a close-up shot of the pitcher, and he takes the rosin bag and he like pats it on his forearms why would you need that on your forearms well because he's mixing it with something that's already there and then he puts his hand on it and rubs the ball against it or you know the guy takes his cap off he rubs his hand all through his hair and then grabs the ball and rubs the ball down why would you be doing that unless there's something going on it's been right there in front of all of our faces all this time MLB didn't just learn about this in the last couple of weeks. They've known this has been going on all along, and they've been okay with it because they felt like the state of the sport was all right and didn't need to be policed. Well, what's happened here lately, in addition to the articles that have come out, offense is at like an all-time low right now. And they realized, wait a minute, here might be a way to improve offense without having to enforce all these other new, newfangled rules we've been trying to come up with about banning the shift and uh, moving the mound back and everything else like Hang on a second. If we just get rid of the foreign substances, this might solve our problem. So, like there was no reason that they couldn't have been thinking proactively like you said in advance coming into the season to try to do that. How many other sports you follow all the sports? How many other sports ever do something like this in the middle of the season and either change the rules or say, "Oh yeah, we're going to we're going to start calling pass interference now" in in week 7? right? No, that doesn't doesn't happen like that. It's only in baseball. And this isn't the first time they've done things like this. So I don't understand why they are so reactive to everything. And I think it also shows you just how bad the relationship is between the players and the league right now. There is no trust between these two sides. You heard Tyler Glasnow, who unfortunately now has a torn UCL ligament in his elbow, may need Tommy John surgery. And he came out and said that Two starts ago against the Nationals, remember he looked great, he struck out 11, he said that that was the first time he wasn't using uh, the sunscreen and rosin, because uh, he knew that it was starting to be a crackdown on it, and while he felt all right and he obviously pitched well in that game, he said the next day he woke up sore, and he thinks, because he didn't have that safety net of using the, the stuff, that it forced him to change mechanics or something different that maybe caused an injury. Now, who knows if that is truly what caused it, but I mean he's calling out MLB and saying, because of this, now I'm injured and may lose millions of dollars in the next contract and things like that. There is so much distrust between the two sides. Why they couldn't have worked together on this, why they couldn't have done this in the offseason is beyond me.
0: Yeah. And if you read the press release, MLB makes it out like the usage of all this stuff has been cheating. So I think that opens up another Pandora's box of Well, when a guy like Glass now comes out and admits to having used that stuff, are we to look at him differently? You know, Max Scherzer has been implicated in all this. Uh, A lot of people listening may know this, but in case you don't, there was another article that came out on SI.com on Monday was centered on a former clubhouse manager named Brian Bubba Harkins, who named Max Scherzer among the many recipients of this concoction that Bubba had come up with over the years, a home-cooked mixture of liquid pine tar solid pine tar and rosin. Uh, Harkins was fired in 2020 by the Los Angeles Angels as the visiting clubhouse manager at Anaheim Stadium for distributing his mixture. But, you know, this has been called this stuff, the new PEDs. So like, that's a whole nother layer to all this now of, well, let, let's say it comes out that Max Scherzer has been in on this stuff for years. Are we to look at him differently? You know, Max got asked about this the other day. He would not answer questions about it. But that's it. That's another layer of this now, too, is how are we to look at all these different pitchers and the successes that they've had in recent seasons?
1: Yeah. So um, he was asked directly about that story. And what he said was that because there is a pending litigation for that former employee and the Angels that he's been told not to comment on it. But he said once that's resolved, he will discuss it. You know, who knows when that will be. He talked about the issue in general and without fully admitting it, he's basically saying, yes, he has used stuff that is technically not allowed by baseball. Uh, He describes it again as the more in the pine tar range, maybe the Rosnan sunscreen range that it's used for tack to get a grip on the ball. He keeps making the point that he says that this is about making sure the ball isn't slipping out of your hand and made a great point too about they're going to have one uniform policy here. Well, different weather conditions change everything. If you're On a cold, dry night in Colorado, you might need something different than on a hot, muggy night in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of different aspects of all this, and I think just the frustration from all of them is that this is being done last second, thrown it all together midseason, not during the offseason, and not, according to him, with the consultation of the players. And it just speaks to how far apart they are and how many large issues there are in the sport between owners and players. And that's not all of a sudden going to come to an end.
0: Yeah, MLB did say in that press release, by the way, that there is uh, not evidence to suggest that the usage of the foreign substances leads to increased player safety, i.e. that's been a justification for this, that, well, you got to use this stuff because otherwise players are going to be hit with baseballs left and right. MLB made it a point to put in the press release through May 31st, the 2021 season has the highest rate of hit by pitches of any season in the past hundred years. And I will say this, it does seem that way. If you just watch Nationals games, and it's not just Victor Robles, every game someone gets hit by something uh, this season. But yeah, whether to, to what extent that is tied or isn't tied to the usage of foreign substances, of course, he need to do uh, much more of a deeper dive than just what was in that press release. Well, there's a lot to chew on with that. We are always anxious to hear from you on that or anything else regarding the Nationals. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. And like I said, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts, they were all over the place at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. You can get yours by going to NatsChatPodcast.com dot square dot site that's Nats chat podcast dot square dot site all nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 the fan for mark zuckerman i'm al galdi we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast and he strikes out caesar molina trying to find the ball and it's connected to his chest protector
2: i have never seen that how about that and the ball hit the dirt first before it hit the chest protector.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.